Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metz, here along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we have a bunch of news to talk about. Not only do we have the playoffs to talk about, as games one and two of the Stanley Cup Finals have taken place now, but uh, there's been some news. As you can definitely tell, we're getting close to the very busy month in the offseason, I guess I'll put it. Uh, between the, the Cup Final wrapping up anytime in the next week to two weeks, you know, between... Uh, now in June 19th, and then there's uh, only about two weeks off, and then you get right into the draft and free agency, which is always crazy and hectic timing, right? So um, news is definitely starting to break with that, but let's start with the Stanley Cup Finals because um, at the end of the day, that is the biggest stuff uh, everyone's talking about still, and um, it has been one-sided so far, I, I think is the best way to put it. Game one was pretty close. It was a good game, but... Uh, as we speak right now, the Vegas Golden Knights have a 2-0 lead in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, they took game one by a score of, was it 5-2 to two with an empty netter, I believe? Yes, it was. And they took game two in a commanding 7-2 fashion where uh, the game that game was just never really in threat. They chased Bobrovsky four goals on 13 shots. That's been the biggest thing so far is... Uh, Bobrovsky hasn't been a superhuman, and sure enough, when the Panthers the Panthers have scored their two goals, but when their goalie doesn't stop all but one <laughs> shot, they lose. Yeah, it turns out uh, maybe Bobrovsky isn't a god. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, of course. Like, you got to give credit to this Vegas team. They're playing extremely, extremely well. Um, yeah, they're rolling. But I, I like the other side of that is, you know, we rightfully gave the Toronto Maple Leafs a lot of shit for not being able to score more than two goals in any game um, since game five of the first round when they got eliminated, eliminated, right? The Panthers have done the exact same thing. Game two against the Leafs, three goals. Game three, three goals. Uh, game four, one goal. Game five, three goals. Um Against the Hurricanes, three goals in game one, two goals in game two, one goal in game three, and then four in game four. Uh, so they have had four goals once now in their last, and then obviously two goals in the in the first Stanley Cup game. So they've had four goals like once in their last 10 games. Um, again, obviously scoring three goals, like, you know, hockey is a game where you try to get to three. A lot of the time is what the math shows a lot of the time, but it's just not you gotta you're gonna have to have games, especially in a higher scoring year like this one. You're gonna have to have games where you score more than two or three goals, and and they're you know like obviously it didn't happen there, and they weren't even close to winning these games. Yeah, it's been kind of funny to watch them just like it looks they they almost look like a different team, eh? Like two like they they couldn't score. You're right, but I don't know. They just seem different. Yeah, I think some of it, like, I really think, I don't know, and my opinion's definitely a little swayed as well, because I, well, again, I mentioned, like, I, one of my favorite podcasts is the PDO cast that I listen to almost every day, and it feels like almost every day, Dimitri's on there spouting off about how uh, this Bob run, not that it's not impressive, but it's not historic, and, and that Florida as a team is doing stuff to to kind of limit their chances or t other teams' chances in terms of how many high danger chances they get. And I think there was there is something to that, and Vegas has done a good job exposing that. But at the same time, there was also just like 
four saves in a round that Bobrovsky made where you go, how okay. on earth did he save that? And that just hasn't happened in game one or two. And I think that alone kind of shifts the difference from look at how good this Florida team has been defensively to, oh, it's just their goalie. Yeah, that's fair. I just mean from like a composure perspective, like they just look like they're doing more dumb things. You know what I mean? Yeah, at the very least, they're getting called for more dumb things too, which yeah. it's fun. Which I, is I, like I, makes doing it even stupider because if you're doing it against the Leafs and you're not getting called, you might as well keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're, I, I forget who said it, but it was, they said, um, it's funny watching this Florida team. It almost like they, they encountered a bigger bully on the schoolyard in Vegas because Vegas is doing it exactly what the Panthers have been doing all playoffs long, getting under the skin, punching people in the face, but they're doing it more effectively and they're winning because of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I think I don't have much confidence in Florida coming back in this series. I could definitely see them winning. It. Like I gotta I would be very disappointed if this game ends, that this series ends up in a sweep. Um, you know, that being said, if Bobrovsky's going to post a, an 800 save percentage in the next two games as well, this series very well likely end in a sweep. But, um, you know, I, I just, this Vegas team, as much as, you know, we can say Bobrovsky's been bad or Florida hasn't looked good, we got to get this Vegas team some props too. And I feel like this whole run, at times hasn't Vegas maybe hasn't gotten their flowers as much as they've deserved. And uh, it's been rightfully earned. They they've earned every win that they've had this playoff so far. Yeah. 100%. They're a fantastic team. Yeah. And, and, you know, round one, they run over the jets, but it was, well, the jets were injured and they were in eight seed anyways. And then round two, they stopped the Oilers in six games and it's, Oh man, well, this was the Oilers year and like good for Vegas, but wow. What about the Oilers? And then, Round three, you know, they go and take care of Dallas pretty handily as well. And and even, you know, Dallas obviously wins the two games to force a game six and Vegas goes up. That's enough. And it, it's kind of, geez, like, look at what Jamie Benn did and how Dallas and Ottinger fell apart. It's like, well, there's probably a reason that every goalie the Golden Knights are playing has an 800 save percentage in this playoffs. And, and obviously a, a, some of that is luck, too. They're not a pure 20% shooting talent team or whatever, but like they are making their opportunities. No. Yeah. At some point you have to start giving them credit for the fact that every goalie turns into a pumpkin against them. Yeah, exactly. And like, again, obviously that's not something that's sustainable for 82 games, but that's why you don't need it to, they didn't build their team for it to be sustainable over 82 games. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't need to be, you need to sustain it for what two to two to four more now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's just, yeah, I've been really impressed with this team. And I just like, it feels like they've been um, just like rightfully so. Like, again, if they win the cup this year, um, and obviously it's a little, um, little early for that yet still, but if they win the cup this year, I don't think anyone's going, wow, the best or one of the best teams did not win it. Yes. Or, or if fair. you are saying that you're wrong, I guess. Yeah. Um, like, so yeah, they had a, they had kind of a mediocre regular season, but well, they won the West and everything, but mediocre for them. But like, they were so hurt. Like they've been so amazing for so long. Like any bit of added context makes them look really good. And like, that's the reason why I don't think anybody's that shocked. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, their season was mediocre because Eichel missed 20 games. Stone missed the entire year. Like they went through 
four or five goalies. <laughs> like it's, yeah. and they still won the West. Like, yeah, as you said. So like when you, when you say that's a mediocre season for them, that probably proves right there exactly why, you know, they should be a favorite or they were a favorite coming in and, and no one, uh, no one should really be shocked that they, uh, if they win, end up winning at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, not a hot take. That's the most likely outcome left at this point. So. Yeah, one for sure. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I think the Panthers will still fight their way into this series. I mean, um, you know, Kachuk, obviously, he – the penalty minutes have been crazy. Uh, that Kachuk hit on Eichel. Thank God everyone's okay. Um, it feels like everyone's arguing nothing here uh, with that hit. Everyone goes, that wasn't dirty. If you're saying that's dirty, you're crazy. I have not seen one person try to claim that was dirty. Yeah, I haven't seen it at all. I have seen about a hundred people be like, "What you just said?" Well, that's not dirty. Yeah, like even Jack Eichel himself. When yeah, I toe picked. It was unfortunate. He was making a good, hard, clean Jack. It's physical game. Like that sounds I, right to me. Yeah, exactly. And like, and it very. It looked. And thank God again. Thank God Jack Eichel's okay because it looked very unfortunate. But um, yeah, like, I just I, I don't know. I. It was that that was one of those big talking points where like everyone seemed to be on the same side of the the one side of the same coin and like we're making these far, false arguments to argue against. It's like no one's arguing the other side of this. We can we can probably just put this one to bed. Yeah. Yes. We figured this one out. It's okay. Yeah. One hundred percent. So, um, other big stories, I guess. Uh, Aiden Hill, like. I think, you know, you got to give credit to Vegas's defensive system as well, but Aiden Hill's been a, a monster, dude. Like 930 save percentage, I think, through the first two games. That that paddle save in game one just uh, could be a series-changing save. You know, like Florida goes up 2-1 on that. Who knows how game one changes, which who knows how that changes the rest of the series. Uh, Aiden Hill, just the fourth, fifth-string goalie for this team, is not only, you know, we, we've seen – Decent goalies, you know, decent to go. Like Kemper was a good goalie, but he's not a top of the league goaltender by any means. Win the cup. Aiden Hill is not only not that, but he is playing like he's better than that. Yeah, he's been absolutely amazing. Like, what a find. I have no yeah. idea if they just got lucky or what, but. Well, and they gave up like a, I think it was a third or a fourth to get, like it wasn't, obviously it wasn't a ton or anything like that. Like, it's not like they gave up a first, but a fourth, they, right? I think it was a fourth. But they, yeah, it, it wasn't like it was a seventh as just like, ah, we'll see. And like, they went out of their way to use him as a third goalie as well. But even, I mean, let's be honest, they didn't even see that, this coming. No, no one sees this coming. That's such an extreme outcome, you just can't. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's... uh I, yeah, but I mean, that's been one of the biggest stories is like, you know, again, he didn't really have to be great in game two, but he still made 29 of 31 stops. And when, you know, Florida put some pressure on in the third, they, they, they scored two goals and it just didn't matter. And that's a game one again, like he was, he was instrumental for them winning game one, keeping them in early in the second there. And then, you know, Vegas, um, I don't want to say found their feet, but, you know, took control in the third period, obviously. And, and it was weird, you know, we, we were talking about how rest was going to affect things. And um, I actually thought maybe it was, and I, I don't think rest had any playing game too, but maybe in game one, it almost looked like as the game went on, Florida got a little more fatigued versus I think the adrenaline carried them for the first period, no doubt. Yeah. And that would make sense, right? Like you just be, it would be kind of hard not to be carried by the adrenaline that early. Right. 
Oh, absolutely. Like, I think, yeah, you're, uh, there's probably something wrong. You're in the wrong profession if you're not getting up for that game. Yes. <laughs> yes, 100%. Um, and then other than that, like, Mark Stone, been absolutely amazing uh, this series. Um, Jonathan Marcheseau, that's another player I wanted to get to as well. I believe he is, I'm just trying to look up Con Smythe, uh, uh, betting odds here. I believe Jonathan Marcheseau is now the odds on favorite uh, to win the Conn Smythe. Uh, let me, here is covers.com. It has, yeah, Marcheseau marches in the number one spot. Trying to find the, so DraftKings has it as Marcheseau minus 105, Eichel plus 425, Aiden Hale actually at plus 500, Matthew Kachuk plus 1,000, Sergei Bobrovsky plus 1,300, Mark Stone is plus 1,500. And pretty similar odds. Uh, Marshall can get as low as minus 120, and that's on Caesars Sportsbook. Hmm. That makes so, sense. Yeah, I mean, he scored, I think they said, eight of his last nine games, which is uh, just crazy. Yeah, and it's just his line has just been filleting every team they played against, right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, and it kind of came in like I kind of thought it was if if Vegas was going to win and it was you know in a dominant fashion like it kind of is. I really thought it was going to be Jack Eichel, but uh, like Marshall's a very deserving candidate of it. Yeah, yeah, I think he's been better than Eichel to be perfectly honest. Even though Eichel's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of just thought the narrative would boost Eichel, but uh, Marshall, I mean, like, yeah, he's just been absolutely phenomenal. And yeah. Bobrovsky, his play in the first two games was the only way I, I, like, if this went six or seven, and again, Florida lost every game, like, three to two that they lost, I would have been shocked if Bobrovsky didn't win it. But now that he's had two games where he's been, I think it was a 600 save percentage the other night and an 800 save percentage in game one, it's like, there is some doubt creeping in. Yeah, and the fact that they're just getting absolutely, they just got absolutely killed makes it tough, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if it's funny because one game shouldn't undo much, but no, and even like the idea of like if they lose in four or five or whatever, and like I, I, people just like giving it to the winning team, which makes enough sense. Like, you know, if you're a, if you're the team running up to the Stanley Cup, you probably don't want to win an award that you know isn't the Stanley Cup, even if you played amazingly, but like. Yeah, it, it's just kind of hard because even like four games in theory, it's like, well, if it's not really his fault, his team couldn't score at all. Why is he being punished for the fact that the only reason they're here is because of him? But at the same time, like you got to give credit to the guys on the other team that have also made it there and scored the goals in those four games, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. it's kind of a weird debate. Yeah, and it's like, because it's not like pure value either. Like, again, if it was pure value, it'd almost always be a goalie that it should go to. Yeah, it's just weird, like, mix of the two. Because that's the other thing. When people are like, oh, like, Bob hasn't been historic. It's like, yeah, if you chop his numbers in half, he's still more valuable relative to an average goalie than any skater could have possibly been relative to a replacement level skater. Like, Goalies are just so overpowered in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, anything else on game one or two here? I mean, again, like I, I just Vegas has just been the better team. I think flat out is the the way to put it. Um, Gudis took a big hit from Barbashev on uh, 
in game two. He didn't skate today, but it does look like he's going to play. Um, so he will be uh, probably in game three, although who knows if he's a hundred percent or, you know, what it was that he, if it was, you know, what, what he was injured with. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. And I don't think Lester Reinen was skating either, but I believe he's expected to play as well. Yeah, he is. If I remember correctly. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't have much more to say on that. I, I do hope that, you know, going back to Florida, um, Florida, you know, picks their feet up a little bit here, uh, just, you know, f- for entertainment purposes. I mean, game one was a really good game. And, you know, obviously game two had um, some interesting moments to watch, but uh, I'd much rather the games be closer to game one than game two, just in terms of at least it being close for most of the game. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see. Uh, I'm just trying to think of what news we want to go with. Let's go with Kyle Dubas, I guess. He, the the we we talked about it briefly on um last week's podcast you know when we were talking about Brad Treliving and uh you know it kind of sounded like Kyle Dubas to Pittsburgh might be a thing but wasn't official and then I think the day that we posted the podcast it became official uh just our luck but Kyle Dubas is taking over as president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins they currently do not have a general manager and Dubas came out in his presser and said that for the time being he is going to be the GM which Honestly, kind of makes sense because this is kind of the role it sounded like he wanted more of in Toronto. Um, I We've talked about Kyle Dubas in length over the past couple podcasts. Um, I don't have a ton to say on this, to be honest, other than I think it does maybe put into a little more perspective why he, Dubas, was probably more confident in going back to the Leafs, asking for, you know, what the Leafs called a significant raise in his contract because he probably knew this was, you know, in his back pocket. Oh, he 100% did. <clears throat> like, it's it's never been so obvious that tampering of some kind existed. Yeah, I mean, like, this, it happens honestly, all the time, too, right? No, like, Oh, yeah, it's not even a bad thing. It's just fairly obvious that it did happen, right? Yeah, for sure. And, um, and you know, it's a little different, too, because tampering in this sense is it's not like Dubas had three more years on this contract and it was like, well, give me a raise or I'm leaving. It was, yeah. I'm, you know, my contract's up like in a month. So we're renegotiating, but essentially he's a free agent at that point. And obviously like, I think at the least had window shopping too then, right? Yep, exactly. And like, and the Leafs were clearly doing the same. Well, actually they weren't, but you know, the Leafs were probably, should have been doing the same thing in terms of having a bit of a backup plan. And again, we kind of talked about that as well. Um, I don't know for Dubas's job right now, again, like I, I think he's a, I, I do think that he, his strong suits, you know, for say whatever you want about Dubas and, and how he handled the big, big contract negotiations, if you will, undisputedly his strong suit as a GM is finding great cheap depth players uh, or good, at least, you know, like I, there's, I can't name one depth contract that's been atrocious that he handed out in his five years in Toronto. Can you? No, I mean, if Toronto had a compliance buyout, I always think this is a good way to think of like cap health. I'm not a hundred percent sure you'd use one. No, like the, only one maybe you'd argue is like John Tavares, ironically yeah. enough. Tavares you'd think about, but honestly, at the very least, given how shit this free agency class is, 
if the Leafs had 11 million in space, you'd probably rather have Tavares at 11 million than the space at the moment. Yeah, probably. I mean, the space would allow you to go make like a trade or something as well, but yeah, but they have no picks to make that trade either. Yeah, that's they have prospects, but yeah, like it might not be the optimal outcome. I'm pretty certain the optimal thing to do with 11 million dollars in space would be to sign Tavares for 11 million if that was on the table, but like it wouldn't be the worst outcome either. But yeah, anyways, the fact that the John Tavares contract is the one problem pretty good yeah exactly and like you know there's no john Tavares to sign in in pittsburgh the depth cheap depth cheap effective depth is what pittsburgh needs and dubas is a good fit for that as well so uh it'll be interesting to see how he kind of plays with this roster there's definitely some ugly contracts i i kind of wonder i gotta assume he looks to move mikhail granlin right now but i wonder what that cost is going to be yeah, I don't know. I assume <laughs> could you get an asset for him? No, I I can't imagine so. He just got moved for an asset though. Like, and everyone laughed when it happened. And yeah. then he had a more disastrous run after the asset moved of like everyone in the league going, What on earth is going on here? Yeah, that's fair. Maybe like I don't know what it would cost to get rid of him. I'm kind of torn because like, like it should cost a lot. <laughs> I just don't know if that means it will. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and like I don't even know. It might not even cost like a lot to get rid of him. I just don't think you're getting positive value back. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you convinced me. You're definitely not getting positive value, but that's fine. Um, and then Jeff Carter's another name where you probably got to look at moving, but he's got a full no-move clause, which I didn't know. Yeah, that's an ugly deal. You could probably stomach it for a year if you had to yeah i'd imagine they will it's it just it's such a weird position because i wonder what pittsburgh's ownership slash team wants to do right now like do they want to make their way back in the playoffs and and go for one last go at it or quote unquote if you will or like are they accepting that they're going to take a step back for a year or two like i just I, i really don't know i assume they're trying to take another shot that's just my guess they really might as well. They have a shitload of cap space, too. Like, mm-hmm. they're in a nice spot because they don't need... It's not like the Marlowe thing where it's like, Dubas needed to trade Marlowe or they weren't going to be able to ice a team legally. Like, yeah, if you can't yeah, trade I... cards, you miss out on some C-minus level free agent. Oh, no. Well, that's the thing. It's like, if Jeff Carter's your 13th for making $2 million too much, it's like, oh, that's not ideal, but it's not the ideal. Like, yeah, you'll be fine. But, uh, they're, yeah, they're losing Brian Dumoulin this year, which, I mean, he hasn't been great recently either, but that's a big cap off the books. But it's also just a guy that you're going to have to replace higher up in your lineup. Uh, Jeff Petrie still got two more years on the books at 6.25. Um, Ricard Raquel has five at by five. God, I forgot to sign that, too. There's just a lot of guys where it's like, oh, my gosh. And then Jake Gensel's up after this year. That's another big thing where – um they got to decide if they want to keep him going forward if they want to keep him and risk letting him walk like i I, if you're going for it i cannot see how you make a jake gensel trade where you're getting better at this point unless you're like like i i don't think not this year anyways no i think the move is you just (laughs) i think everybody's going down with the ship like i think it's going to be ugly and i have to imagine they know that yeah 
which kind of why I'm so interested by Dubas taking this job of all of them. It would not be a particularly appealing job to me. No, and like I, I get saying that there is obviously only 32 spots open at any given time, but like he was one of the few guys that would probably be among the favorites of any job that opened up, you know, at any point, I should say. You think he'd be able to have his kind of pick of the litter? Yeah, like, like, well, even, sorry, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, because like you don't need to take one right now, like all accounts, he would have been able to get a job job in hockey in someone's front office very high up and then you can just kind of bid your time if you wanted to well that's what i was just about to say is like even if you know and again who knows maybe like they offered him so much that he just couldn't say no or something like that i think it was like 40 million bucks yeah (laughs) like a shitload of money enough that i say yes you know exactly fair enough but like yeah like if he didn't he wasn't sure what he wanted to do right now he could have waited a couple months and I guarantee, like, if new ownership came into Ottawa, all that's been talked about is one of the things they need to do is expand the front office. I'm sure there would be some kind of player or president of hockey ops job opening there. Oh, 100%. And just, like, natural time, right? Like, GMs do last for five years on average or whatever it works out to be, but there's still plenty of openings if you just kind of wait for small amounts of time, right? Well, yeah, like over under three and a half GMs opened by this time next year, basically. Yeah, that's probably a good good line for it, three, three or four. Yeah. Like so much better than the Penguins. Now, there's also the spite factor. He's probably not particularly happy with Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, like maybe – Maybe he does see something in this team and, you know, or wants a new challenge, right? Where he goes, I, I want to prove that, you know, I have a five-year vision for this team. And in two to three years when Malkin and Crosby's contracts are are getting to be up, we're going to tear it down and restart my own way or something. I, I don't know, but it's definitely an interesting fit. That's for sure. Yeah, it is a, it's odd. I'm sure I, he'll do well but it just seems like a we get the grade on the curve of relative to what the counterfactual would be like i don't actually think they're winning a cup or anything no but also i think as a gm regardless of that you need to have some kind of belief that you can make this team back into a cup winner you know or yeah you're you're probably in the wrong job or if you can't like, I don't know. Like, I just think, or, you know, if that's not the option, but that has to be the option for this team, unfortunately. There's just no rebuilding for until Crosby and Mount, well, until Crosby's contract is up in two years. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you could yes. probably rebuild with Malcolm on your books and Latang on your books for an extra year. That probably wouldn't be the biggest deal, but it'll be what Crosby wants to do after two years. Yeah. And honestly, maybe you can sell a mini retool. That's roughly the age that, I mean, a little older, but also probably better than like Thornton was when the Sharks did a mini retool, came back and made the cup final. Yeah. And I mean, like, even Boston had a down year of Bergeron at that age, I think, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Now, they weren't fully like bottom 10 in the league retool. There were like, ooh, we're just barely missing playoffs or getting bounced in round one for a couple of years here, but still. Yeah. One of those picks was like the DeBrusque pick, I'm pretty sure, which is like 15th overall. Yeah. Um Which so was, to be fair, roughly what happened in Pittsburgh this year. Mm-hmm. Um I don't I I think Dubas's 
skills definitely fit the short-term needs of this franchise, and then it'll be interesting to see where they go long-term is the way I feel about it. And even like this decor needs some serious reworking. I would say, you know what, people don't want to admit that, but that was a strength in Toronto. So the way he worked that, not through any normal, not normal, but like no one really saw the, no one saw the Jake Muzzin trade coming. The TJ Brody signing, people kind of started to piece it together, but like it wasn't this just obvious fit that was going to happen. Um, you know, even the um, the Jake McCabe trade, you know, didn't really, people didn't see coming until the day before. So, you know, he he has found a way to get good defensemen and build a good decor, um, you know, even if the the obvious path isn't there. Yeah, exactly. I got. I think we talked about this on the podcast, but I was asked by somebody what Dubas' signature move was. So it's like, he didn't really have one slam dunk move, but he turned the Leafs from a team with a bad decor into a good decor in spite of the fact that arguably their number one defenseman isn't on it because of injuries, which you couldn't have seen coming. Like, that's a pretty good sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, so. And, and goaltending will be the other question, I guess. You know, he's back in a spot where... By all accounts, it's, it does not sound like they're going to bring Tristan Jari back this year. Um, he's a 28-year-old UFA. I don't think that's the worst decision in the world either. Um, they have Casey DeSmith at 1.8 uh, for one more year. So he's, Casey Smith is 31. That's pretty crazy. Um, that is weird. <laughs> he's like 20, perennially 25 and 26 in my brain. Um, so he'll probably be the backup, but they need to go find a starter. So um, that'll be interesting as well. Yeah, I, I would actually like Jari if I was a team buying in on him. Yeah, I mean, like, I, people are already trying to, like, piece him to, like, Toronto and stuff like that. And when that, that would be a spot I could absolutely see him going, especially on a Samsonov-esque one-year deal where it kind of feels like Jari probably needs to rebuild his value a little bit. I think that'd be great for Jari. Go to a team with a competent defensive structure, put up a 920 save percentage, and then cash out. Mm-hmm. Like that could be a win-win for all parties. Yeah, one hundred percent. And um, yeah, like that doesn't. And the Toronto is obviously the one that's obviously going to jump to mind. But um, I'm trying to think of some other teams in the playoff mix that you know, LA would be another option probably for that. Yep. Yeah, LA is a good option. Um, Vegas, depending what they want to do here, um, you know, in the off season. Uh, they have a boatload of goalies right now with Aiden Hill, Brassois. I think Brassois is up after this year. Yeah, Brassois, Hill, Quick, I mean, Quick's not coming back. They're all UFAs, but then Logan Thompson makes a stunning 766K for two more years. What a steal of a contract. That's um, hilarious. You know yeah, who I then, think if I was his agent is the Canes, too. Yep, that's a, yep, they're another great uh, great option there because, yeah, they. I think I believe, if I'm not mistaken, both Anderson and um Ranta are up this year they are yep and then so they have Kachekov at two million dollars for four more years so you'd have to assume Kachekov will be one of the options there I think him and Jari would be a great tandem oh that would be fantastic and like I said that'd be a win-win you could probably just go crush it in Carolina Carolina's mm-hmm. happy to have a great goalie for a year and then they get another year to wait on Kachekov probably throw the devils in that mix as well the, oh that's another good team yeah, there's yeah. A, there are more playoff teams without goalies than I thought. Yeah, the Devils might be okay with Vanacek Schmidt as their pairing as well. I'm not really sure, but they might be scared after the playoffs, though. And I would know. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, you know, I, I just I don't know 
it, it probably depends how they feel about uh, Schmid. I would say in terms of if he's ready to take a full full workload going forward or uh, or not. And then the other team I would actually throw in there is maybe a bit of wild card is Minnesota Wild. Um, but that A probably depends. So Flurry still is one more year at three point five. But the last I'd heard with Gustafson, who's an RFA, is they're not really sure what they want to do with him because they also have Hunter Jones, who's like their big goalie prospect that they feel is probably ready in a year or two. Yeah, that's a tough spot because, like, every now and then you'll talk about people talk about oh, you can't just like rely on analytics. You gotta you gotta worry about your like team chemistry and stuff. Like, you can't just cut bait with players. You gotta worry about the locker room. What does just randomly cutting bait on Philip Gustafson after last year say to the locker room? He's a Vesna candidate or close to it, wasn't he? Oh yeah, like he was one of the best goalies in the league. Uh, and, and sorry, not Hunter Jones. Jesper Wallstead is their uh, great goalie prospect, and he's twenty. Yeah. Uh, Hunter Jones, it was a second round pick, and he's twenty two as well. But Wallstead's there, twenty. Yeah, twenty two. But Wallstead, I think, is the guy that they're like preparing the future for. So. Yeah, which is fair. It just, I don't know, it seems odd. Like, Philip Gustafson's, especially after you just fleeced a team trading for him, like, usually teams commit to guys like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and like, I think the most likely outcome is probably a one or two year deal to say, hey, we want to make sure you can do this again. Um, And then by that time, you hope that Wallstead's ready to go when he's 22. And you can either. A fair way of going at it. I'd be kind of pissed if I was Gustafson. Said I would be trying to cash in on this year, but yeah, but even by that point, you know, an option. yeah, I would say I just don't know how many teams would be like. Like, I think there would be a lot enough teams that would go, well, look at how many other goalies have had one great year and then didn't repeat. You know, yep. Oh yeah, there's a lot of risk there. I get the hesitancy. It just it seems odd. He seems like the kind of guy that teams would love. Yeah, highly that's drafted, sure. like just traded for him. Well, there is a, I think there is a chance that maybe they do double down with him, sign him to a four or five year deal, because and then Wallstead plays in the minors this year, but comes up when Flurry's done at the end of this year. That's fair, and you could probably always get off that contract relatively cheap, so it's not crazy expensive, which it won't be. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be an interesting thing. Um, we got sidetracked from Pittsburgh there. Uh, I don't really have much more to say with Dubas in Pittsburgh, though. It'll be interesting to see, um, you know, where that goes. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. All right. Uh, before we move on, we'd like to give a shout-out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 replaces key health products in one simple scoop. AG1 combines nine health products working together as one, placing your multivitamin, multimineral, pre- and probiotics, immunity support, and more. So that means AG1 does more for your body and saves you time, money, and confusion compared to taking multiple unique products. Simply follow the link in our show description and get started today. All right, let's move on to some other news. Um, Let's start with the Mike Babcock stuff. Mike Babcock is going to be hired as the next coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, The Blue Jackets were in the news twice this week, actually, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, It sounds like they are not officially signing uh, Babcock until July 1st, so he can get every penny he can out of the Toronto Maple Leafs, which... Fair enough. I don't blame him for that, but it is kind of funny um, that that is a thing, you know, because if Columbus obviously signed him now, the Leafs wouldn't have to pay out the final month of his contract, whatever the hell that would be worth in dollars. Probably a couple K still, though, knowing how much he was being paid per year. Oh, yeah, probably probably five digits. Yeah, I mean, like, assume, and I don't know how I have no idea how coach pay works in the NHL. 
Um, but if you just assume that it was because he was getting what six million a week or a week, six year? million a year. Yeah, I um, think so. So if you just assume that that's about 113k a, a week, if you just say he's getting paid equally over every week, so <laughs> that's almost 500 grand if you know he signed a month early. So I, I don't blame the dude if that is how that works, uh, for not signing before July 1st. It's a disgusting amount of money for his monthly pay. Yeah, and he's been collecting that for three years to just sit at home now. That's insane. Yeah, not a bad gig, eh? Um, as far as the actual hiring goes, listen, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think there, A, is probably just better candidates out there. B, you know, it'll be interesting to see what his presser's like. I go both ways on this. So I definitely understand, you know, like a, I think that the, one of the things to mention that is important is that I think he kind of got lumped in with a lot of the stuff that was going on. at similar to a lot of the stories that were coming out at the same time of, you know, like Joel Quenville had to leave because of the uh, Kyle beach stuff and the cover up there. Um, you know, uh, you had, who was it in Calgary? Um, uh, Peter. Oh, was it Peter Ward? Is that his name? No, Bill Peters. Bill Peters, sorry, that's it. You know, like that story came out. There was a couple around the time. And like, I feel like Babcock got lumped into that group. Um, obviously, there's some allegations that have been out from De uh, Detroit players. Nothing that's been collaborated at to any means. But the one story that did come out was obviously the whole Mitch Marner thing and him making, what was it, making him write names down on a paper of people he doesn't think working hard enough or something like that. And then going and to then he tell was it to, yeah, yeah. Codry put on the thing and then he called Codry and it was like, hey, Mitch, he doesn't think you work hard. Yeah, like that's a dickhead move. That is not on the level of covering up a sexual assault. Yeah, it's just stupid. Yeah. So, hey, like I, I think he should, there's, you have to ask, you know, what have you learned? Because that is not appropriate in this day and age either. But it's also like, I saw people treating this as if like Joel Quenville got hired again today. It's like, well, it's not the same. No, they're not. The biggest, I mean, my biggest issue with Babcock is I wouldn't hire him because I don't believe he's a good coach. No, well, that's the thing. I think, you know, I can't remember who tweeted it, but it's like, oh yeah, all the success he's had since the day Nick Lindstrom retired has been really appealing, eh? And it's like, that was 15, not 15, like 14, probably 12 years ago now, I guess. And yeah, it's been a while. And like, he partially gets screwed over because some of his best seasons were getting the most out of horrible teams. Like, he probably deserved the Jack Adams the year, at least for tanking. There were a year that the Wings made the playoffs that he also plausibly could have won the Jack Adams just because they were a pretty mediocre roster. But, like, by the end in Toronto, it was pretty clear that you don't want him in charge of your contending team. Now, maybe Columbus thinks he's the guy to get their 82-point roster to 95 yeah. points, I guess, is the logic. So this is what I was just about to say, is that Columbus is that mediocre team that probably wants the boost. But what I don't understand is they just did this with John Tortorella like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Like, John Tortorella was the coach of the, the – the coach they just fired was only the coach of the Blue Jackets for like a year and a half, if I'm not mistaken. So it's yeah, not like also, this is like – like, they've tried this. Yeah, they have. And, I mean, Babcock's 
was probably better at it, but also like who knows what the time away did. I would be shocked if it was that helpful. Yeah. I, I don't know, maybe it was, but I'll be surprised. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I have no idea if it is or not. Um also just like I get you can't you can't just bow down to your rosters every request, but like Pat, this roster's not a Mike Babcock roster. Well that's the other thing. If you're the Blue Jackets, you've kind of and we can get to this, you've pushed a bunch of chips in. Rightly or wrongly, you've pushed a bunch of them in. <laughs> that ship has sailed. So you really, if you want to be a contender, need Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, and David Jircheck to be superstars. I would not want Babcock being the one who's coaching them if that's that's where you are. He sure as hell not my first, second, third, or fourth option. And even like like Patrick Line, I am so I might tune into a couple of Blue Jackets games just to purely see what Patrick Line looks in this system because I think he's going to look like a fish out of water and it's going to piss Babcock off. Which yeah, they don't seem like a a good match at all. No, and like, like there were even... Nylander problems with Babcock and Line is way <laughs> more extreme than Nylander in terms of like being bad defensively and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, like, people are saying the same about Goudreau. I don't know. Goudreau had one of his best years. His best year under Daryl Sutter. So, I think Goudreau's just yeah, a pretty I, good player. I don't though. get where yeah. that came from with Goudreau. Is that just because yeah. he's, like, short? Yes, he's small and has good offense. So, it must mean he's bad or hates defense or something like that. I yeah, because, like, his defensive metrics aren't great. But nobody that good offensively are. They're just fine. Well, and there's never been, like, an issue of him, like, not trying defensively or anything like that. No. Like Johnny Gaudreau doesn't. I've never heard any of those like kind of concerns with him, and it's odd. Yeah, like, no, he me. had kind of bad defensive numbers last year, but over a lot of his time in Calgary, they were somewhere before how good offensively he was. He was like a borderline fantastic defensive metrics. Yeah, um, it's just and having then... average defensive metrics while being elite offensively is really good. Yeah. And then, you know, on the blue line, I said this isn't a Mike Babcock team. Well, they made a trade to make it look more like a Mike Babcock oh, team. On the blue line, this is a Mike Babcock team. Tell <laughs> me he's not going to love Provorov. Yeah, so they bring in Ivan Provorov from the uh, Philadelphia Flyers in a three-way trade. Well, let's hit this from uh, Columbus's spot first because I, I do have a couple takes from the other side. Uh, it was a three-way trade that L.A. got in on as well. Uh, so here's the full trade. To Columbus is Ivan Provorov at 30% retained. So he's got $4.725 million uh, for the next two years. Uh, and reminder, they had to retain on that because they're paying Erica Branson $4 million a year. Um, but that's beside the fact. To Philadelphia, actually, we'll go from LA. LA is the third team that jumps in here. Um, they get Kevin Continen. I'm sorry, they take Ivan Provorov's uh, salary where they retain 30%. So they have uh, two mil just over $2 million on their books now for the next two years. Uh, and Hayden Hodgson, which I believe is just an AHLer. Uh, and then Philadelphia. 
They get Cal Pedersen as a complete cap dump. So that's what LA sent the other way. Uh, he has, I think, three more years at $5 million. They also send Sean Walker to Philly, who is a um, solid defenseman, but I don't think they really had room for him in LA, just with how many um, players they had. Uh, Helga Granz, a 2024 second round pick. So that's all from LA. From Columbus, they get a 2023 first round pick, which is actually LA's 22nd overall pick, which LA sent to Columbus for Gavrikov at the deadline. A 2024 second round pick that is conditional conditions. Columbus must decide after the 2024 first round is complete if they're sending a 2024 second round pick or if the pick is 2025. So a second and a first, or sorry, two seconds and a first, Cal Pedersen for a Cal Pedersen and Sean Walker is what Philly gets out of this. Let's start with Columbus. The easiest one, they get Ivan Provorov at 60% or 70% of his normal salary. Sorry. This is paying for name value more than actual results. Yep. Oh, Hunter, um, maybe the, the market inefficiency is draft defensemen high, give them minutes and then trade them agnostic how all those minutes go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as long as it's a big defenseman, that's that's the one thing you got to throw yeah. in there. The weirdest thing with Provorov, he's not even that big. No, but he, I'm sorry, physical is maybe more what I yeah. should say. Um, oh, you can yeah. break the cycle so well. I can hear the Zaitsev quotes already. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Provorov just hasn't been that good. And, you know, already the uh, while he hasn't been on a good team in a couple of years, stuff is coming out. You know, you've done research that that is way – that narrative is – Overblown, At essentially, best, yeah. and, and he's not going to a great team. I like no, the Bruins that, treated him. Thank you. That's exactly what I was going to say. This isn't a Hampus Lindholm thing. Not to mention, like Lindholm's peak was higher than Provorov's ever was. But like, yeah, this isn't a Lindholm thing where it's like, yeah, he's going from like the worst defensive system in the league to the best. This is he's going from a bottom five defensive system in the league to a bottom ten defensive system in the league. Like, yeah, I don't. He's like never looked great either. He, he looked he like one year, if I'm not mistaken, and that was it. His rookie year, he was good defensively, plus he had offensive upside in junior. So, like, that made a lot of sense. And then in 1920, he kind of popped off on the power play, but he looked like mm-hmm. a power play version. Other than that, he's been somewhere between slightly above average and slightly to decently below average. So even, again, if you want to use a team excuse and argue with me that he's he's a fine player, like average. It's like, sure, but why are you doing this for an average player? He's like a, he's like a number four. Like, Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, if you wanted to, because numbers say maybe he's a five or whatever. You want to say he's a four, it's a fine. But, yeah, it's just not good. You give him a first and a second for a number four defense. What are you doing? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So, and like their decor is strange. So it's Provorov, Good Branson, Wierenski, who's hurt right now, but he'll be back. Jake Bean, Adam Boquist, Andrew Pique, uh, and that'll, and then, you know, whoever else they sign, I guess. That's a very wide range of players. Um, and it's, Probably solely going to depend on how healthy and good is Zach Wierenski. Yeah. Which is, well, like, God bless Zach Wierenski. That is a lot of pressure on the guy. Well, I can already see the Provorov, Good Branson, quote unquote, shutdown pair being thrown out there. Yep. 
that is not going to go great. And like, no. or even or- worse, arguably, is I don't know. Like, okay, here's the fine. I don't think there is a right answer to this, probably. What's worse if they do a Gabranson, um, Provorov shutdown pair and commit to that, or if they staple Gabranson to Wierenski's line and Boquist with Provorov? Yeah, well, what I was also going to say is they bring Jircheck up and give him Provorov, and it's like, welcome to the NHL, kid. Yeah, like, yeah, sorry, Jircheck, I guess, is in the mind. He'll probably make this team out of camp as well, but. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, Boquist, <laughs> either one, like, you still want growth out of Boquist. It's probably more important to get it out of Jircheck, but you prefer both take steps. This actually, this has so much shades of the Toronto defense when Babcock was there, to be honest. Yeah. Provorov's left-handed, so it's not like it's going to be full right-handed camp. And Boquist is right-handed, so or plays right side anyway, so it's not like it's going to be full the right side camp of the D. But the biggest problem for those first three playoff series was that everyone knew the entire one side of Toronto's D couldn't move the puck. And that's kind of what it's going to be. Like, one player, if, assuming they go something like Jircek, Provorov, Branson, and and Wierenski, and then, I don't know, maybe Boquist Bean is a third pairing or something like that. But, like, there's probably going to be one guy on most pairings that just can't move the puck to save their life. Yeah, that's that's very Toronto. I mean, I guess <laughs> Abcock's your guy for that kind of decor. Yeah, so... Uh, familiar I, with I, the walls. Yeah, I have not understood Columbus's... Um, Weak, really. Uh, I, I just think I think management thinks this team it, it's a shame too because I, I really like some of their pieces up front and I really like some of their prospects. I just I think management way overestimates what this team is and have selected all the wrong people to surround the, the court. Because again, I do think in a world where you spend your money right, if you have a core of Johnny Goudreau, Zach Berensky, uh Patrick Line will even throw in there, you know, Line maybe not the most idea ideal, but then and Adam Boquest, and then you have prospects in um, Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, even Kirill Marchenko looked pretty good last year, and David Jiracek. Like, that should be a very solid base to be working around. Oh, yeah. They they draft basically off a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see this team do well. And by a spreadsheet, I mean they basically draft off my spreadsheet. My model loves what these guys are doing. And it makes me sad that NHL-level decisions are probably going to hinder great prospect decisions. And again, plus like Goudreau. Goudreau's fucking amazing. It'd be cool to see him win stuff too. But yeah, it looks unlikely. Mm-hmm. So... We'll have to see where that goes. Uh, let's get in the aspect for the other sides of this trade. Um, let's go to the big winners first, in my opinion, and that's the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, big winners, not only in this trade, Jason, in my opinion, but huge dub for the fan base as well, because this it, it looks like they have finally realized our team it sucks. It's time to rebuild, and that is probably two years overdue, but better late than never. Yeah, they figured it out. That's all that matters. And what better way to kickstart a rebuild than get the 22nd overall pick in a draft that, you know, everyone has been talking about for three years now. Um, you know, obviously, the, mostly because of the top end, but there is a lot of deep talent from all, by all accounts, in this draft as well. Two second-round picks, all this for a guy who, given how you were using him, was probably hurting your team more than helping it. Um, and, you know, they again, they've just, 
they they have so quickly from the course of like two trades have restocked their prospect or not prospect pool pick pool though they have two firsts in this year's draft two thirds in this year's draft and this is after they've already traded away the second and their own second and third this year and second next year they have two fourths in this draft two sixths in this draft next year they have two firsts because they have florida's first from the Giroux trade uh, they already have two seconds, which could turn into a second in 2025, obviously. And they've replaced the fifth that they traded away. And this is probably only the start. It's yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, like this is this is very good. Um, it sounds like they are probably going to look to trade Carter Hart at some point as well. Um, that's been the rumor. Uh, fair enough. Like, again, it's you know, he's 24, so like he is a piece you could keep, but if you just if you if this is a three year rebuild or whatever, and you feel that if he's going to keep growing, he might actually prevent you from doing what you want on a rebuild. Fair enough, um, but in terms of this trade specifically, if this is what they look to do all the way through, I am incredibly encouraged by this. Yeah, absolutely. Like I- this is this is a massive. I think this is Daniel Briere's first move. Correct. Yeah, yeah, literally this the first move. It's a massive win from Daniel Briere. Uh, I just like literally everything you would want to see. Yes, like even not just the pay, the picks are great. That's awesome. But using your cap space, going, okay, we're going to be bad for a couple of years. Let's go get Cal Pedersen. He can come in here. Absolute worst case scenario, he sucks and he helps us get our draft pick, but we're going to use our cap space. To... Yeah, exactly. Best case scenario. Maybe he shows what he showed in LA a couple of years ago and you can either flip him or you have a guy that can help out when your team's trying to get good. Yeah. And you don't like same thing. Sean Walker, perfect. In my opinion, the perfect guy to target for a rebuilding team. You know, you go, Oh, you don't have the cap space for this guy. We'll take this 28 year old who plays both the left and right side has one year left at 2.65. And I bet you he gets flipped for a, a minimum, a second round pick at this deadline. Oh, 100%. I quite like Sean Walker. Nice little, yeah. nice little pickup. Nothing crazy, but, you know, nice, no, and, nice little piece. And he's going to either help eight minutes for you now for your rebuild for this year, or you, they could flip him at any point from now to the trade deadline. Yeah, so, I didn't even think about that part. Yeah, I guess you could flip him even earlier. Yeah, like I'm sure there'll be something like again, like this would be a perfect. I would love Ottawa to target someone like this. You now, it's obviously depending on the cost or whatever. So, um, I, I the curious thing will be what he does with the rest of this roster. Um, Konechny is obviously the biggest name I would say in terms of making a decision on him. I don't. Yeah, think that's not an easy one. No, and. I just like, I think they kind of have to trade him because I just don't see that contract making sense for them if they are trying to rebuild the next contract, I should say. Yeah, I doubt it. That's why it sucks. Uh, You'd much prefer to keep connecting. Yeah, for sure. Um, Kevin Hayes, I think he'll be just a guy that, you know, his veteran presence probably plays up in this lineup because I don't think anyone's taking his $7 million for the next three years. Um, Yeah. And then the other long contracts they have, Joel Farabee, which is fine. I don't think anyone's complaining about that. Five by five for the next couple of years. Again, that'll be an interesting one of like, by the end of that contract, he'll probably be the classic guy that, like the Nazem Kadri for uh, Toronto at that point, yep. where it's like, ooh, what do you do then? Now he's turning 28, but that'll be down the road. And then Travis Sanheim is on a long, long-term ticket here at 6.25. 
he has a full no trade clause. I just don't think he's going anywhere, to be honest. And then Ristolainen's got four years at 5.1. I don't think you're getting out of that either. Or not right now, anyways. I think you just bite that bullet for the next Yeah, time. you might as well when you're that bad too, right? Yeah. And then Couturier is the other big question of like if he even plays again. Because he's got seven years at 7.75. Yeah, that's a scary situation. Yeah. So, because um, yeah, Ellis is on, like Ellis doesn't sound like he'll play again. He's got four years at 6.25. Cam Atkinson's got two at 5.8. He's also on the IR. Like there's some ugly contracts here, so it'll be a long-term project. But if this is step one of their vision, I I'm very encouraged by that. Yeah, exactly. It'll take time, but I mean, if they're, they're taking the right steps, it's mm-hmm. you kick around the time. So do what you can given the constraints. Yep. This is much better than anything. The past management group did for about a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Just great moves. Yeah. Um, and then the last team here is LA. Um, I I don't mind this move from LA. I mean, they good on them for seeing an advantage. They go move Cal Petter. They get uh, off that Cal Patterson contract, which was just an unfortunate disaster for them, um, but saves them $5 million. They then immediately turn around and spend all of that cap hit more on Gavrikov at $5.875 million AAV. Uh, the only saving grace in this contract to me, Chase, is that it's only two years. And I actually kind of like this contract. I would say that's why I'm not actually angry about it. I, by the sounds of it, this was something Gavrikov pushed for because he thinks the cap's going up. God bless him. Holy shit. If I was his agent, I would be like, take your term now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I guess for Gavrikov, yeah. But like, I'm not going to complain about a player actually being like the cap's going up. I want to try and recash it. Oh, yeah, I respect betting on himself. We'll get to the player in a bit where it's like, I don't understand why he's locking in for long term. But, yeah, I wouldn't blame him for getting eight. But maybe the option was like, we're only giving you four for eight years or something like that. And the 1.875 for two more years. And then even if he has to sign like eight at four in a couple years, that's still better, you know? I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. But, um, yeah, for the Kings side of things, like – I was really, when I saw $5.875 million AAV, I really thought this was going to be for like six years. I was like, God, this is going to be the next disastrous defenseman contract. Yeah, I was waiting for that too today. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, this is like weirdly reasonable. Yeah, I think 5.8 is, it's probably a little much, in my opinion, for Gavrikov. Um, but it's not like so much that it's like, holy shit, how are you paying this? Yes, exactly. And they're clearly buying the fact that he did really well on their team. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, they would have better information on that. Still don't mean that. Still don't think that means we should throw out multiple years of data on him. But, you know, he looked pretty good there. And he looked decent in Columbus for a while, too. Was the thing like he, he was he was fine in Columbus. Yeah, it, it just wasn't great. Yeah, he wasn't elite, but like he was he was a top four guy. I guess my question is, and maybe I don't know, maybe Sean Walker was a piece you had to move to get Cal Patterson off your team. In which case, then fair enough. But like, is Sean Walker at two point eight seven five for one year? that much worse than Gavrikov when he's making 5.875. Like it's a $3 million. Is 
Sean Walker, $3 million difference worse than Gavrikov, I guess, is the only, like, big pushback I'd have on this. Yeah, that's not, probably not, to be honest, but. I don't think it's but, the end of the world. I just, I don't know. Yeah, Walker's younger too, right? Uh, no, he's actually a year older, shockingly. Oh, in my head, he's a prospect-ish still. So, <laughs> never mind. Maybe maybe it's fine, more fine than I had expected, but. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Sean Walker's 28 is what I just saw. Gavrikov's 27, so. One of those guys who makes the league late, so he feels young. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I I really like LA keeping the term down um, on this. And again, it's just like, it's nice actually seeing teams. It's, it's such a low baseline, you know, but like, it's nice just seeing teams realize they're going to have to budget for their future at some point and like understanding how that works. Yeah. Fair. It's it's not like when he's up, it's not like there's any big names up that year. Alex I follow, but that's about it. But um yeah. Yeah, but like it's the year before that they have a bunch of big names up. But Kopitar's ten million dollars come off the books that year as well. And as we've already kind of talked about, Kopitar feels like a guy who could turn around and be like, Yeah, I'll sign for two million dollars a year or whatever. Yeah, like a three by three or something like that. I mean, he's still pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I just, I, I don't think Kopitar is going to be like, I'm demanding $8 million again on my next contract. I could be wrong, but. I I mean, even if you gave him the Malkin AAV, but shorter or something like that. Yeah. I mean, the Malkin contract would probably be, if he does want a comparable, it'd be very, very similar, right? Like, I think he's a year, is he a year older than Malkin? I think he's a year older. And then like the organizational context is all pretty much the exact same. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So I think, yeah, that'd probably be uh, a pretty good comparable because Malkin signed that deal. Yeah. I guess what I'm thinking is maybe he gets Malkin contract now, three years at six point, whatever, not because Malkin got four years, right? Yeah. Yes. Because it would, Malkin signed it younger, even though Malkin's older. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, they, LA's in a very good position again to be a solid team next year. They just got to, they got to figure out goaltending. They got, Phoenix Copley at $1.5 million. Um, they, again, they feel like a team where like a Tristan Jari would make sense. If they wanted to make a big splash and trade for someone, Connor Hellebuck would make sense. You know, his name's been floated around on the market. Um, but they'll definitely be in on one of those, you know, top. Apparently they had, I think it was Chris Johnson had said that, I believe it was them who had looked at a UC Soros deal, but the Preds were asking for like multiple first and prospects, which fair enough, but yeah, I would, I would ask. <laughs> Can't mm-hmm. have to ask. I don't think Carter Hart's that. another fine name for them. I think too, like would be an interesting yeah. enough option. Just did some business with Philly too. Maybe there's something there. Yep, exactly. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think Philly to me is the big winner of this trade. I think Columbus is the big loser of this trade. And I think LA you can feel one way or the other, but I don't feel super passionate about it one way or the other. That's for sure. Yeah, for the trade itself, they got some cap space relatively cheap. I don't mind it. Yeah, I mean they also had to they had to take Provorov's two million dollars on, right? But yeah, still. yeah. So it wasn't like it can look better than it actually was just because of that two million retained, but it was all right. Yeah, it wasn't. Horrible by any means. Um, yeah. Last piece of news, Cole Caulfield signs an eight-year deal in Montreal. This one uh, kind of surprised me a little. I just didn't hear anyone talking about it uh, 
uh, recently, but eight years, $7.85 million. You want to talk about, I mentioned, I don't understand why people are locking in long-term. Again, Gavrikov probably, I wouldn't have blamed him for taking eight years just at 27 years old and the type of defenseman he is. Cole Caulfield, file him into the bucket of Jack Hughes, Tim Stutzla, um, Nick Suzuki, I guess you can even throw him there, of guys where you go, you guys do know the cap is supposed to rise like eight mil over the next two or three years, right? What are you? And then like, I, on one hand, I, I respect it in terms of like, this is how you help your team win in the long term. And I'm not blaming him because $62 million is a lot of money. But if the prime objective is to make the most money you can, uh, this is a very bad deal to take. On, on Caulfield's point, I should say. Yes, but, I'm I'm with you on that. Although I will say Cole Caulfield got wildly overrated in the past few days. Yes, absolutely. I To me, this falls into the one of the contracts that I 1,000% why Montreal did it. But also, it is not the slam dunk that everyone's making it sound out to be. It can be. It, it has fine potential to be. And I can absolutely see the world where Cole Caulfield turns into the 35 goal scorer, 80 point, 85 point guy. And we're looking at like, wow, he's making under 8 million. What a steal. Yeah. Like, but I'm there. Cause I saw the word superstar attached to his name. It's like, we got to relax a little bit here, people. Yeah. Like so far in his career, he's been a guy who, I mean, he hasn't hit 30 purely because of injuries and shortened season or whatever, but like, he's been a guy who looks like he's going to be poised to score 30 to 35, but has had, pretty bad possession numbers and like that's okay like they can still absolutely develop or whatever i'm not saying he's gonna be a bad player but it's not like this is a dude who just came in and smashed on every asset of the ice or like like jack hughes you could tell with jack hughes and even with you know i keep beating the drum for tim stutzlove like the breakout is coming you can tell the breakout is coming it might with cole caulfield and i still think it like there will be a bit of a scoring explosion but it's not like he's this dominant two-way player or anything like that Exactly. Our our model through that age has Caulfield's closest comparables as Skinner and Eberle. Like, I feel like that's a good realistic tier of winger. Those guys are both first-line wingers. They topped out as, like, legitimate strong links on their hockey team, but these guys weren't – nobody's like, oh, there's – and, like, they would have been worth this contract. Or his contract is similar to what theirs were at their age, but it's not like this is – you know, the greatest deal ever or anything. It's just a pretty good deal for a pretty good, probably really good player, right? Yeah, like 7.85 in this is probably equivalent to what, the five? Was it five that Everly signed for when he was an Everly RFA? was six by seven and Skinner was 5.75, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so like that, just given where the cap would have been eight years ago now or nine years ago or whatever that was. So eight years ago, I think that would have been probably when they signed those. Like that seems right, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like, it's a great player. He's great for where he was drafted, like all of those things. But I don't know. I saw people getting pretty unhinged with like superstar signing and them winning the cup and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you guys got probably got to relax. I, I like Cole Caulfield quite a bit, but you know, this isn't, this isn't a, no, this isn't Kucherov signing a cheap deal or anything here. Or yeah, God, every RFA who signs has to be compared to Marner. I don't know who needs to hear this. Mitch Marner is significantly better than Cole Coffee. Yeah, this isn't Jason Robertson signing this deal or anything like that. You know, like exactly. And it's and it sucks when people go way too far the other way because like a young Jeff Skinner, Jordan Everly comparable signed for eight years. 
is a great thing to have. It's just, I don't know. He's not probably not going to score 50 goals and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And like, or yeah. And like the, the, the thing I'm always a little cautious about is when it is, you know, goal scoring is a primary thing. It's like, obviously you, there is a reason you have to pay for that because if the high end of variance is he does get 47 goals or whatever in one year, you absolutely take that. But you got to be careful because if he has a year where shooting is just the bad side of things and he scores 20 goals in a year or whatever, like almost like to bring it in Ottawa this year, like he's going to get rightfully not right one, well, maybe just unrightfully, but like he's going to get flamed because the people are going to start going on. What are you doing here? You know, like what are you bringing to this team? Yeah, exactly. Now the nice thing for Caulfield is I do feel like the path for him breaking out is fairly obvious. He either needs to not suck defensively, which seems possible as he physically matures, team gets better, all those things and just natural variance. He's been one of the worst defensive players in the league. Uh, people don't tend to stay that bad for long. Um, He's also barely done anything on the power play, despite being fairly efficient at scoring at even strength. That's usually system space, I would have to think. Yeah, Him, sure Montreal. yeah Montreal's yeah. had like a bad power play too the past couple of years. I don't think that's his fault. Yeah, it's been horrible. So they haven't figured out that out. There is fairly easy path for at least the production to explode, even if the sort of war never gets to like gaudy totals. Yeah, exactly. I just, to, to me, this feels like one, I, like the Skinner and Everly are exactly perfect examples of a contract we're going to look at in a couple of years, be like, yep, that's really good value for what he's bringing. It's, but it's good value because the cap went up, not because yep. he suddenly turned into a top four winger in the league or whatever, in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. It's just a first line winger making, you know probably a fair contract to start. And then every cent the cap rises, you're happier and happier. And every step he takes, you're happier and happier. But like, don't expect a heart trophy in this guy's future. Don't expect him to be the best player on a team that wins a cup. Probably don't expect him to be the second best player on a team that wins a cup. Yeah. Like he'll slot into that three, four, or like, you know, he has the talent to be the best player for a short period of week, but he's not, not over 82 games or whatever. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, you know, I, I like the risk. I, and, you know, for all of you saying that, again, like I, I, if I'm Montreal, I sign this contract 10 times out of 10. There's n- nothing in my mind that would make me say Montreal should have done something different here, in my opinion. No, exactly. Like this is the kind of, th- this is the kind of bets you have to take as a team that, you know, looking for upside, this is how you get that upside. So, um, yep. Yeah, I, I like it from the team's perspective. I definitely agree. I think the narrative the past day or two has been a little overblown, but at the same time, like, very good contract. Um, I, I get why Caulfield took it as well, but if you're talking purely making money standpoint, I think a three-ish year deal would have made more sense or whatever, and then, you know, cash out with the eight when you're 25, 26, but whatever. That's, you know, again, like, Money's not everything for everyone. Um, and again, the 62 million is a lot of money anyways. So, you know, it, maybe he is just totally okay with this. and mean, like, if me being $3 million underpaid when I'm 27 means that we have a 2% better chance of winning the cup or whatever, I'll take that. And, you know, that's quite okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if that makes, that's what he is thinking. I respect it. Yep, exactly. So uh, I think that's basically everything for this week. Um, Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, as always, you can find my work at lastwordinhockey.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66 and theactionnetwork.com, as well as his Substack. 
we will be probably back at you next week. Uh, it'll just kind of depend maybe on the news cycle here for a little bit. Uh, we will definitely be recording uh, and publishing every Thursday. And then it will just depend kind of how busy we are as well as the, the news cycle is, I think, if we keep going on Sunday slash Monday. Um, I assume probably once, you know, the draft and free agency picks up again, we'll go to two times a week for a little while. And then in the summer, we'll probably dial back down to one. So uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week.